be tried with fire. And only that which is founded upon something that is strong and able to withstand the fire is going to stand in this day. The Bible said everything that can be shaken will be shaken. The word of the Lord speaks of perilous times that are coming, brethren. We're not looking for those perilous times any longer. We're living in them. If there was ever a day that the church needs to feel the urgency and the passion for the things of God, we're living in those days today. I don't believe that we can go any further from this point without realizing the sobriety and the nature that we as apostolic ministers must possess to affect and to impact the world that we are living in. I do come with a burden in my spirit today. I have felt recently, I guess we all ministers have felt at times how Paul Revere must have felt on that midnight ride when he was doing the best that he could to awaken those that were sleeping and slumbering on the very brink of disaster and great danger. Brethren, we have a duty. We have a responsibility. Having said that, would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And I'll also be reading from the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians and Revelation chapter 3. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse number 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom do ye say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 27 that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse number 1, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. My subject today, and I've been instructed to not make any apologies for my youth, and so I don't. I come here 
believing as each of these men have that we have heard from the Lord and with a burden to preach the word of God today. Brother Enzi mentioned the book and the CDs and the singing and my feeling is that all of that is secondary. First, we are the preachers of the gospel. And so I feel the hand of God in this place. Could we lift our hands? I want to preach this morning about strengthening the things that remain. Let's, let's ask the Lord to help us today. Mighty God, I love you. I thank you for the touch of the Spirit. I thank you for the touch of the Holy Ghost. I thank you for the anointing of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in this house as you already have. Do it again this morning, Lord. God, we need you desperately. We need your touch. We need your hand. We need your spirit. We need your anointing. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and lift our voices unto God one more time. God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you. You can be seated in Jesus' name. What a privilege to be part of the most powerful thing on the face of the earth or in that matter, for that matter, that exists anywhere today. And that is the church of Jesus Christ. This church that we are part of today, I believe, was on the mind of God from the very beginning. Amen. We believe that it was in his mind when he gave promise to Abraham that through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. When you correlate that scripture with the book of Galatians chapter 3, we realize that God was speaking more than just to a natural lineage that would follow Abraham, but was speaking that man in the time that was to come, the church to be established, that through the church of Jesus Christ would all of the nations of the earth be blessed. He gave the promise to Abraham and then Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Joseph and Joseph was sold into slavery and went down into Egypt for 430 years. They uh, remained in Egypt until God sent to them a man by the name of Moses who would bring them out, man, by the power of the Almighty God. As they began to leave that place called Egypt, uh, they first participated in that very, very first Passover. They were instructed to slay the lamb and to apply the blood to the doorposts. And if the blood was seen, the death angel would pass over. They were instructed to remain with their garments on, their shoes on their feet, and their staff in their hand because it was time to depart. It was time to leave from this place of bondage. And immediately God began initiating a pattern that would be seen throughout time up until this day in which we live. The blood that was applied on the doorpost, 
the water that they passed through in the Red Sea, and the spirit that was manifest by the pillar of cloud that led them by day, and the pillar of fire that led them by night. Fifty days after they left Goshen, they arrived at a place called Sinai, where God was going to reveal himself to Moses upon the top of that mountain. This being 50 days, according to research study that I have done, is unique in that 50, meaning Pentecost, being the first time that God is going to uh, come down and uh, make of his people a nation and give to them that covenant. In the Old Testament, this 50th day after the Passover was characterized as the Feast of Weeks or as the Harvest Week. From the Passover, seven weeks were counted and then the feast day was held on the next or the 50th day. While this harvest feast or Pentecost was a celebration of the first fruits, its origins pointed back to Sinai and God's giving of the law and that first covenant unto Moses. What happened? What took place at Sinai? Moses ascended upon the mountain and the presence of God descended upon the mountain. God displayed his mighty power through thunderings and thick clouds. The law was given, a covenant between God and his people written in tables of stone. A nation was born in a sense that for the first time now Israel is being governed by a specific code and set of laws that were written by the finger of God in tablets of stone. A man and God unrolled a blueprint unto Moses of the model that he was going to allow Moses to build in the wilderness, that being the church in the wilderness or the tabernacle in the wilderness. Once again, containing that principle that he had established of blood at the altar and water in the laver and the spirit in that most holy place. God said of Israel, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. You will be unto me a kingdom of priests. You will be unto me a holy nation. We find that all of these promises were given, these covenants given unto Moses and Moses carrying these tables of stone that God had given to him. Going down the mountain and hearing the sound of that strange music and seeing the sin and a lewdness and idolatry of God's people already as they're there at the base of that mountain worshiping a golden calf. And he tosses, throws down those tablets of stone and they break. And 3,000 were slain that day because of their disobedience to God. We understand, of course, that Moses returns to the mountain and God gives to him again the commands and says, this time you will hew them out, you will inscribe them. But for all of those hundreds of years, 
as they, the Jews, would celebrate the Passover. Then there was that celebration 50 days later, the celebration of the first fruits, the celebration of the receiving of that covenant from God. Amen. Upon Sinai, upon the mount, as God talked to them and gave, made covenant with them. For hundreds of years, they gathered in Jerusalem for the celebration. And here we have come. Amen. One more time back to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all of the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. There's something different that's taking place at this Pentecost. All of these years they've been celebrating a man, the receiving of that old covenant. But now Jesus has told them, I've got something new that I'm going to give to you. I've got a new covenant that I'm going to give. You go to Jerusalem and when that day of Pentecost arrived, now we're getting beyond the model. Now we're getting beyond the type. Now we're getting beyond just the blueprint. But we're looking now at that which God had on his mind when he said to Abraham through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Amen. God is now ready to meet with his people once again. And look with me if you would at the correlation between Sinai and Jerusalem. At Sinai, Moses ascended upon the mountain. In Jerusalem, 120 ascended into the upper room. At Sinai, God descended upon the mountain. At Mount Zion, at Pentecost, at Jerusalem, his spirit descended upon the upper room. At Sinai, God displayed his power through thick clouds and thundering. In Jerusalem, he displayed his power with a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and cloven tongues like as a fire. At Sinai, the laws of God were written in tables of stone. At Pentecost, the law of God is written by the finger of God in our heart. At Sinai, a new nation was born. At Jerusalem, the church was born. At Sinai, he said, you will be my peculiar treasure. To the New Testament church, he said, you will be unto me a peculiar people. At Sinai, God said, you'll be unto me a kingdom of priests. And to his church, he said, you are a royal priesthood. At Sinai, he said, you are a holy nation. To his church, he said, you are a holy nation. At Sinai, 3,000 were slain. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't tell me that the church of Jesus Christ was some kind of second plan because the first plan didn't work. Oh no, my friend, he said upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against Somebody clap your hands and 
I believe that the church of Jesus Christ was on his mind from the foundation of the world. And before it was born, he said to Peter, the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Concerning that last day, he said he would present unto himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it would be holy and it would be without blemish. I believe when that church was born on the day of Pentecost, the fulfillment of the plan of God from the foundation of the world, from that time until now, there has been a thriving apostolic one God tongue-talking, holiness-believing, Bible-preaching apostolic church. And on that day, on that day when he returns unto his people, he's not coming back for a church that's weak. He's not coming back for a church that's lost its power. He's not coming back for a people, a man that have, have lost their fervor and their vibrancy and their fervency concerning the things of God. He's calling somebody today to lift up your head and strengthen the things that remain within you. Considering Matthew chapter 16 and Ephesians chapter 5 and so many other scriptures. We must then ask ourselves, how could it be that this powerful, vibrant church of Jesus that he built deteriorate to the degree of those six churches, arguably six churches found in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 3. How could it be? Amen. That this church of Ephesus that was established by the Apostle Paul in a city of 200,000 people. Paul going into the city of great idolatry and establishing a church of 20,000 one God apostolics. How could this church of Ephesus get to a place where in Revelation 2 it would say that Lord would say to it, you have left your first love. How could it be that the church of Smyrna would get to the place where he said, I know the blasphemy of those who are of the synagogue, who are of the synagogue of Satan. How could it be that the church of Pergamos, it would be said there are those that hold the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. To the church of Thyatira, he said, Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. To the church of Sardis, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Your works are not perfect before God. To the church of Laodicea, You're neither cold nor hot. You have not the ability to recognize your own spiritually bankrupt condition. While we believe in the predestination of the church of Jesus Christ, we wholeheartedly, unequivocally refute the idea of individual predestination. Individual predestination of people, individuals, or individual assemblies. Well, praise the Lord. How could it be? How, how could it be that something so powerful 
powerful and so vibrant and so mighty and so magnificent and so strong deteriorate to the place of Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. I believe it's because somebody somewhere along the line dropped the ball in their duty to their generation. Brethren, could I tell you today that we are living in the last, I believe it, we're living in the last of the last days. We can look at the things, the events that are taking place around the world. Earthquakes, famine, pestilence, wars, rumors of wars. Amen. The sin of Sodom is rampant. It's been a long time since I heard anybody preach that effeminacy is still something that will keep you out of heaven. Well, I got a few amens from that. Hallelujah. We are living in the last of the last days. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ will be powerful when he returns. But there is no guarantee that I will be in it. There is no guarantee that you will be in it. In fact, the affluence, can I preach to you today? The affluence of the North American church. The affluence of the North American church has brought us to a place sometimes where I'm afraid that we deceive ourselves into thinking that everything is just all right and everything is okay when there are vital things that you read about in the book of Acts that were existing in the church, in the book of Acts that are not seen among us today. I don't know you, I'm coming, I don't know about you, but I'm coming to you as a 38 year young preacher today that's got a burden in my soul and a burden in my spirit and a hunger in my heart I don't want amen to be like the church of Laodicea or the church of Sardis or Thyatira but in the midst of all of that thank God for the church of Philadelphia thank God there was a remnant thank God there was a people that were remained thank God he said You've not denied my name. You have kept my word. Therefore, I've set before you an open door which no man can shut. I'm telling you, I believe those that will remain, those that will strengthen the things that remain within the church today. There is a revival to be had. There is an open door to walk through. There is power with God that we can know. Somebody clap your hand. I'm just going to preach. There are some essential things that must happen in every generation if we expect to remain part of the church that God thought about when he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the world through you. Amen. We've got, if we're going to be part of that church that he rolled the scroll out and the model in the wilderness, there are some essential things that must be done in every generation.
soon. Brother Townley preached about it so well last night. First of all, there must be the preservation of the truth. Truth will not be preserved through sin. Truth will not be preserved through entertainment. Truth will not be preserved through programs. And I'm not against singing or some entertainment or some of our programs. But I'm going to tell you, the way that truth is going to be preserved to the next generation is the same way that it's been preserved up to here. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering and doctrine. Truth is not going to be preserved by somebody that's not willing to stand and preach the word of God. Now I want it would thrill me if I made everybody in this place happy today. It thrilled me if I made everybody everywhere I go happy. But the thing that would thrill me more than that is if Jesus Christ would look down upon me and say, I'm pleased with you, my servant. I'm going to tell you, men, we've got to get to a place where we don't fear the face of men. I remember as a 20-something year old, I had preached in Ritter, Louisiana, Brother Wayne Pounders, and Elder Ellie Westberg was preaching the next night. He wasn't there that night, thank God. I loved him, but Lord, I couldn't. I just know when he was coming, I nearly fell off the platform. He was in my dad's living room. He'd come down actually to preach anniversary service for my dad. Was there a few days later to the church in Derrida. I had said that night when I preached, there's one coming after me who's mightier than I. <laughs> And I told that to Brother Westberg, and he laughed, just like he laughed. And then he got a real serious look on his face. And he looked at me, and he pointed his finger in my face. He said, let me tell you something, boy. Yes, sir. He said, don't you ever let anybody intimidate you. So I say that Brother Westberg intimidated me into not being intimidated. <laughs> well, how can you have a hole in this conference without, without bringing up the memory of that old elder? But brethren, we've got to get to a place in our ministries and in our lives when we realize that it's not the people that we're preaching to. Amen. That are that, that we're going to have to answer to. We are on a holy, amen, mission. By a holy, with a holy calling from a holy God. And it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And if we don't preach and preserve the truth, they cannot be saved. Come on. Every apostolic preacher has a charge 
was once delivered unto the saints. Now I don't believe earnestly contending for the faith to say, oh, I sure wish you wouldn't do that, you little dog. Well, Brother Morgan, you can say that because you're an evangelist. Well, I used to be a pastor. Amen. I'm going to tell you that we've got to get a, we got to get a fire in our belly. We've got to get a burning fire in our heart and in our spirit. We've got to love this truth with every fiber of our being and preach the word and be instant in season and out of season. When you don't feel like preaching, preach anyhow. When it's not popular to preach, preach anyhow. Oh, we got to charge. Earnestly contend for the faith and every saint of God, whether we be preacher or not, we've got a charge to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Lest at any time we should let them slip. I knew you can ask to get back to the book and preach the saving word of Jesus Christ. It don't matter what I think. It don't matter what you think. It don't matter what the whole world thinks. It's the word of God that's going to save Oh, Lord, help us. we got to preach the absolute essentiality of believing in the oneness of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Tell it to your children when they get up in the morning. Tell it to them when they go to bed at night. Amen. Somebody said, well, is it important? Yes, it's not just important, but it's essential. For he said, if you don't believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. It was God that was manifest in the flesh. It was God that was justified in the spirit. It was God that was seen of angels. It was God that was preached unto the Gentiles. It was God that was believed on in the world. It was God that was received up into glory. And in Jesus Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We got to preach. I got to hurry. I'm already out of time. Amen. We got to preach the absolute essentiality of being born, the absolute essentiality of being born again of water and of the Spirit. Jesus said, if you're not born again of water and of the Spirit, you will neither see nor will you enter the kingdom of heaven. I was pastored in Atmore, Alabama. Amen. A dear elder, Coleman Pilate, the founding pastor there, good man of God. Amen. I was pastoring there for, for about five years. And shortly after we got into town, I heard a, a commercial on the gospel radio. And a man come on and said, uh, if you have a ministry and would like to advertise or have a program on our radio, call this number. Da, da, da. And so I called the number. And I said, I'm Harlan Morgan for, from Atmore Apostolic Church. And I heard your advertisement on the radio. And I would, I would like to talk to you about maybe preaching on the radio or advertising or doing something. And he said, what do you mean by apostolic? He said, if, if you're one of those that says that everybody else is going to hell unless they've been baptized in Jesus' name, then I'm not interested in talking to you. I said, well, you know, I might not say it exactly on those terms on the radio. But I do believe it's so important and essential that when Paul met some folks that had already been baptized. 
He, he commanded them to be baptized again. In the name that's the only saving name. And that is the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. It's always amazed me how the denominal world will do everything else in the name of Jesus. They get ready to go on vacation. Let's pray for a road trip. They do it in Jesus' name. They bless their food in Jesus' name. They pray for their kids in Jesus' name. When they, when they go to baptism, they act like they're all Catholics. And the Catholic Church says that Peter was their first pope. My question is, if Peter was their first pope, they can at least do what their first pope preached. It still takes repentance and baptism in the name of the one that shed the blood, which is Jesus, so that his blood can be applied to our lives and our sins can be remitted and you must be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you this truth is only going to be preserved by the preaching of the Word of God. Come on, preacher. Preach the Word. Secondly, watch a long time before I get to secondly, isn't it? I believe an important thing that must happen in every generation and especially to our generation, and we need it desperately, and that is a restoration of the fear of God in our midst. Now, I'm going to be spreading that I preach for. I do a lot of doctrinal preaching. Why? Because I believe our people need to hear the word, the doctrine, not the latest philosophy that's come out of headquarters somewhere. Well, come on now. Not the latest idea that somebody's gotten. We better get real close to home right here. Come on. But I've been in this conference in years past, and somebody. Get up and preach a strong message of doctrine. Or preach something that we may not necessarily agree with in our own personal to-do list or to-do-not list. And I hear preachers my age in the back as some are down around the front. Others congregated out in the hallways. Mocking and laughing and ridiculing what our precious elders are preaching to us. I don't have time for fellowship in that group. Respectful to my elders. I'm going to tell you, my dad had come up here and whoop my hide today if he thought I was going to be disrespectful to you, good, godly men. God, let there be a restoration of the fear of God in our hearts. The fear of God will keep you from talking in tongues on Sunday night and committing fornication before midnight. The fear of God will keep our young people from going to places of ill repute.
this field. Fear of God brings results. Amen. I remember as a child in Kansas, man in home missions going to the Kansas district camp meeting. Amen. And there was such a fear of God in that place. I don't know if it was a fear of God or fear of Ellie Westberg. Amen. But there was a glory. There was a fear of God in that place. And there were miracles and there were deliverances and there were power from on high. God, this gum chewing. Smart aleck, scoffing, laughing generation needs a restoration of the fear of God in our heart if we're going to remain part of the church that Jesus said he was building. Come on, clap your hands, give the Lord And for every generation, there must be the impartation. And the demonstration of the power of God. The preservation of truth within itself determines a certain amount of the power of God. Because the Bible said, you shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But in our preservation of truth, my question is for all of us, brethren, today, what is our purpose in our preservation of truth? The church of Ephesus obviously preserved truth. Because the Lord said to them, You have the ability to look at those that say they're apostles and prove them to be liars. But he said, I have someone against you. You have left your first love. Are we preserving truth simply so we can build museums? With relics of the past. So we can ensconce beneath the glass case. And our children and grandchildren, should the Lord tarry, would come by and we would say, See what we have preserved? Or are we building training centers to impart the power of this truth? To the generations that follow. Paul warned Timothy of those that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. There's been something in my heart from a young man that I asked the question, and I ask it today. Why is it that we must go back to the 1960s and the 1970s to the days of verbal being and the likes 
of men of his day to find that miraculous power of God really affect in a great, great, glorious way. I don't know about you, brethren, but there is a hunger in my spirit and there is a desire in my soul that says, oh God, let me do more than just preach Acts 2.38. Let me do more than just preach here, O Israel, the Lord, our God is one Lord. But let us see and experience the impartation of the power of the living God. The demonstration where there are healings, where there are deliverances, where there are miracles, where the dead is raised. Where the, well, are we the book of Acts church or are we not? We're blinded eyes are open. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that God has lost a bit of his power in 2011. And what we need is his power to be manifest among us again and again and again. I want my children to see miracles. I want my grandchildren to see the Lord care to see miracles. I want churches where we go and evangelize see miracles. Should I pastor again? I want there to be miracles. God, I'm not just seeking after a sign, brethren, but the Bible said these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall you? We don't just baptize in his name, but he said in my name shall you cast out devils. In my name shall you speak with new tongues and so on and so forth. God, we need the power among us. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not, we got enough fluff and enough height. I said we got enough fluff and we got enough height. And, amen. If you get everything going just right, then we can have a little church. What happened to fall on our face before God in prayer until we pray the power of God down?
If you see me when I go up, I will not take it away. I'm going to give you that which you request, which is a double portion of my presence and my spirit. They came to the Jordan River. Elijah took the mantle and he smoked the water and the water parted hither and thither and they crossed together on dry land. Elijah watches as Elijah is taken up. The mantle falls down. He goes back to the river, the next generation, and takes the mantle and smites the water and said, Where is the God of Elijah? And the water parted and they crossed on dry land. Jesus imparted his power to the twelve. He told them to go and preach. He told them, he meant to distribute the loaves and the fishes. Amen. He imparted his power to the seventy and said, in my name are you going to do these things? Paul imparted that power to Timothy. Amen. And the power was, was passed on from one generation to another. I pray in my desire, my hunger would be, and I mean no disrespect here, but God give us elders who are less interested in the acquisition of wealth and more interested in the impartation of the power of God to another generation. We don't need it. We desire it. We hunger for it. Brother Taylor preached so good last night. Everybody's not going charismatic. Everybody's not going the way of the world. God's raising it. But God not only give us those kind of elders, but God give us young men who are less interested in receiving the inheritance of a dynasty and more interested in receiving the power of God into our spirits and our lives. Somebody clap your hands. Somebody praise God. How could it be that that great church of Matthew chapter 16 could come to the place the scathing rebukes that they received in Revelation 2 and 3? These things and more that I preach to you today I believe are essential. For every generation to remain part of that predestined church of Jesus Christ. What, what prevents these things from occurring in each generation? We must ask that question. First of all, we cannot impart what we do not possess. Eli was a priest. And it should have been that his sons would follow him in the priesthood. But Eli was so sidetracked and backslidden in his heart. 
he had nothing to put in the hearts of the following generation. But God said, I'm going to have a priest in Israel anyway. From the womb of a woman that cannot give birth, I will raise up a preacher. Brethren, let us not allow our affluence to blind us to our weakness. We need the power of God. To anoint our minds, to anoint our spirits, to anoint our ministries. We don't just need ability, we got to have the anointing. Because it's the anointing that destroys the yoke. Thank God for here the last while I've had the privilege just recently, not just these brethren, but just recently preaching over in Arkansas and Missouri. Meeting some men of God about my age. I'm not saying anything about any long-time friends. Believe me, brethren, I love you and you are my brethren. But we can think that we're the only ones, one of the finest men of our generation standing on this front pew, two of them side by side right here, Brother Sam Ham and Brother Daniel Stevens. I'm not just singling them out. There's so many more that I could say. My point is God is allowing me the privilege to come in contact with men of my generation that echo what I preached here today. There's a hunger. We don't want politics. And we don't want and we don't want the fight up the ladder. We want the hand of God. We need some elders to lay their hands on us. It's got the fire of God in their soul and their spirit to impart it to us. Because I got a boy sitting on that front row this morning. He's watching his daddy. And he's wanting to see some things that's found in that book. Not only do our elders have a responsibility to us, but we got a responsibility to those that's following us. And if we don't have anything to impart, we can't impart it. But I don't believe that's the only reason because I believe I'm walking among giants and the cream of the crop and 
the powerful preachers of the gospel of our generation are here today. But sometimes I believe another reason that we see these things lacking is because when we look around at the age in which we live, we see all of the sin and all of the things that are abounding. We know we got the work of God. We find a wine press to hide behind. And our spirits sometimes get intimidated and filled with the fear because of the things of this day. And we're trying to do the work of God. But we're hiding and we're just trying to thresh out a little wheat. Just for Wednesday night service. Just let me get enough wheat before the enemy of my soul sees what's going on. If I could just find enough to get my congregation through another few days or get through this revival that I'm preaching, then that'll be good when God is really wanting us to open our ears and hear as He speaks to us and say, Hey, Gideon, you're not in the right position. You are a mighty man of valor. And it's time for you to rise up and take the weapons of warfare in your hand and do the work in this last generation. I'm done. I'm done. But brethren, we've got to do the work while it's day. Night's coming. The end of the age is upon us. The trump of God is just about to sound. And God's going to call a church home. We better work feverishly. We better put the trumpet to our lips and sound the blast and break the pitchers and see as the enemy goes into chaos. I'm telling you, I believe if we will arise to the call that God has placed upon us, there is a revival in these last days. There is a powerful generation that's here in this place represented today that God is saying, I'm calling you out. I'm pulling you out. I'm calling your name today it's time to come out of hiding it's time to let my power flow through you it's time for the glory of God to be manifest I wonder if anybody's felt the burden of this message today that you'd like to step out from where you are young or old middle aged it doesn't matter to me if you felt the burden and you're feeling a tug and a flowing in your spirit right now let's come and seek seek the face of God God, help me to be a preserver of truth.